welcome you again to uh, week one of the series that we've called Selfie, and uh, look forward to uh, studying with you the next four weeks. As always, uh, a little notice, especially for those who are guests and may not know it, that there's a colored insert in your uh, service folder today, and encourage you to take that out and put it on your lap and fill in the blanks is even better. Um, you want to mute the video, uh, Jason, thank you. Um, for those of you here today, I see a number of them who are either high school teens or middle school teens. Um, I've got a question for you, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that. It's just more of a uh, thought question. Um, how many of you could relate to any of the things that were being said by the teenagers in the video? And here's my guess, because remember, I'm old now, but I was a teenager once too. Um, like probably all of you, not probably, all of you could relate to something that was said in that video. And the truth is, is that as, as a teenager, um, we want to be popular, we want to be liked, and we want to have a good image of ourselves put out there, whether it's with our friends or, or as the video was talking even on social media like Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter. And the truth is, and you would never admit this when you posted a picture, but there are times where you're taking 20 to 30 pictures of yourself and you're very picky about which one is shown on social media and, and which one people are going to see. You pick through a whole bunch of them before you put the right one out there that you like. And even, even when you find the one that you like to put onto Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, whatever it is, um, a lot of times even that's not good enough, right? And so there's this, and maybe not all of you know this, but there is an editing tool in Instagram and other uh, types of uh, picture applications uh, which are called filtering functions. And so in essence, I think it gets its name because it filters out all the stuff you don't like about your picture. <laughs> it edits it. Uh, here's an example of filtering or filters on Instagram. And this projector maybe isn't as crisp, but you can kind of see some differences in those pictures. It kind of hides the things that you don't want people to see. It softens it. It takes away the blemishes. It, it, you know, it, makes you, it makes you look better. In fact, so many pictures on Facebook and so forth are filtered now that there's actually a new phenomenon that if you didn't filter your picture, you put on the post, hashtag, no filter. Now, at this point, you're thinking, man, Ben, you're really hip. You know everything. And I will just tell you that I am not the hip, cool, young pastor. But Pastor Matt told me about <laughs> hashtag no filter. So we've called the hip pastor. I'm just the old guy at this point, OK? So thank you, Matt, for letting me know about hashtag uh, no filter. Now, who did I start talking to or address at the beginning just a couple minutes ago? What age group? Teenagers. Yeah. I bet a lot of you have forgotten that by now. You know why? Because, well, let me you, let you in on a little secret, teenagers. Adults care about the image that's portrayed to the people around them, too. Your parents care 
what picture is put on Facebook. And sometimes they go through 20 or 30 of them and then use a filter before they put it out there. And even dads care. Now they don't maybe care always what pictures on Facebook, but they care about their image. They care about how people view them. Are they viewed as being popular? Uh, maybe not popular, but are they viewed as being successful or not? Are they viewed as having it all together or not? Are they viewed as being super talented or not? We all care about our image. We all view ourselves through a certain filter, and it matters to us how people view. In fact, if you're someone right now in your brain and heart that's like really animate, like I just, I know I don't care. I don't care about that stuff. The reality is, is that you have your own image issue. Your image issue is that you want people to view you as not caring and being above all the cultural stuff. But we all care in one way or another about how people view us. It's just a part of us. And, and that's our first fill-in for this series and for this message. We all have the desire to feel good about ourselves and maybe to say it in a, in a different way. We all have the desire to feel good and for others to view us in a certain way, which then makes us feel good about ourselves. Now, I want you to know that having the desire for someone to view you in a good way or in a good light, that's not wrong. Christians don't need to get rid of the filtering function on Instagram and just be always hashtag no filter. It's okay to use the filtering function, all right? It's not sinful to make your picture look the way you want it to look. It's not bad. But here's what I will say, and you intuitively already know this, but I'm just going to say it, is that those types of things that you put out there for people to see, whether it's a selfie, a picture, your popularity, your success, Whatever it is, your self-sufficiency, they never bring lasting feelings of value. Maybe for a week, maybe for a month, maybe for a year, some accomplishment is going to make you feel confident and good about what you see in the mirror. But it will never, ever last forever when focused on those types of things. Filters, they don't change reality. They just kind of cover it up, blur it out. And yet, I, I want you to know at the beginning of this series that joy in who you are is possible. Celebration about who you see in the mirror for every one of you here and for me too is something that is not only possible, but that God wants. How? Well, I'm glad you asked, or maybe you didn't ask. I asked for you. That's where we're going to start during this series, and that's where we're going to start as we dig into a section of uh, Paul's letter to Ephesians, or Ephesian Christians. And as most of you know, Paul was a, uh, a pastor in the first century, and he wrote 
a letter while in jail, while in prison, to some Christians in a town called Ephesus. And one of the main reasons why he was um, writing, there was no real, for this letter, big controversy going on in Ephesus that he was writing about. He was really writing to them to encourage them to rejoice in who they were, to encourage them that they could feel happy about who they are. How? Well, I'm going to warn you. Before we get to the good stuff, Paul's going to start with the tough stuff. But before we can rejoice in who we see in the mirror, we have to acknowledge what we also know when we look in the mirror. And that's what Paul does. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is a pretty popular section of scripture, especially verses 8 and 9, which we'll get to in a little bit. But let's start with the tough stuff, all right? Paul writes to the Ephesians. Remember, he's writing to encourage them. It's not going to sound that way at first. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live totally when you followed the ways of this world before you were a Christian, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, i.e. the devil, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, those who don't have faith. All of us also lived among them. So it wasn't just you Ephesians, it's all of us, everyone, including 2014 people, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires of the sinful nature and the thoughts of the sinful nature. Paul tells the Ephesian Christians that they, at one time, were dead. Now, you already intuitively know this, but let me just say, he wasn't referencing that at one time they were in their tombs or in their graves and and God raised them back to life and physically they were alive again. What he's saying, and and that's why the whole phrase is in yellow, that they were dead because of their sins. They were dead in their sins. So what was this death? Um, They were dead when it came to heaven because they were not going to go there. They were dead in the relationship with God because they had none. And why were they dead? Well, the reason is our second bolded uh, little phrase. Because, as Paul references, they had a sinful nature. Oh, go back, Jason, I'm sorry. They had a sinful nature. You see... um, Sin is something we do every day, a verb, I sin. Sin is also something we have from the very beginning, something that our parents passed down to us. A noun, you sin, I sin, verb, our parents gave us sin, sinful nature, a noun. Now, this is pretty countercultural. And in fact, when I have a chance to, to teach starting point uh, about this section and talk with people who maybe are new to the Bible, this is one of the first places where they really start to struggle. And it's a good struggle. It's like they're thinking this through. You know why they struggle? It's the same reason you kind of struggle with this. Because we're programmed to think and believe, especially culturally that we are really good people who sometimes make mistakes, sometimes do the wrong thing, sometimes sin. But at the heart of us, 
We sin, or I'm, I'm sorry, we're good, and then when we sin, well, we use phrases like, like this. You know, yeah, I'm a good person, and just nobody's perfect. But let me push back a little bit. If, if when we look at ourselves before Christ, if we are truly good at the core, then let me give you an encouragement. Don't just be good sometimes. Just be good all the time. Because that's who we are. Stop sinning. Just don't just be sometimes good. Be consistently good. Be good all the time. In your thoughts, in your actions, in your words. Think about marriage for a moment. All right? Raise your hand if, as a married person, you want to be an awesome husband or an awesome wife. And you better raise your hand because if your wife or husband is here and you're not raising your hand, they're going to be like, what? You don't want to? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, like all of us, right? Now, let me ask another question. How many of you know, for the most part, and you don't have to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you know, for the most part, how to be an awesome husband or wife. We know, in, we know, essentially, the main things of how to be an awesome husband or a wife. Here's some things. Like, don't bring up things from two years ago. Right? That's a start. <laughs> like, take your husband or wife's words and actions in the kindest possible way. Like, like be patient. Like, Treat them better than people at work instead of worse than people at work, right? Like, we know how to be awesome, good husbands and wives. So think about this. We all want to be good husbands and wives. We all know how to be good husbands and wives or awesome. I I would say we have, I'm sure, many good husbands and wives. But none of us can be perfect awesome husbands and wives. Why? You know how you want to be that. The reason is, our next fill-in, we're not good people by nature. None of you had to sit your daughter down and say, hey, honey, this is how you sass your mom. <laughs> and here's some phrases. You never taught your kids that. They, they just do it. Never had to teach your son to fight or hit his brother. They, they just do those things. Why? God says, I know why. Paul says, I know why. Because the honest truth is we're not good by nature. The honest truth is when we look at ourselves by nature, what we see in the mirror is bad. Now, (laughs) this is the reason why If you try to, or one of the reasons why, if you try to find value and self-worth by just looking at yourself and your selfies, there's always going to be a gap between what you want to be and what you are. Some of it's going to do with life circumstances, but the bulk of it is going to be you cannot be who you want to be. When we look at ourselves, just ourselves, there's always going to be.
Next verse, verse 4. But, that's like the conjunction that tells us that things are changing. It's going to be better now. But, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, not just has adequate mercy, not, you know, middle class mercy. He's rich, filled with mercy, that is pity for people, love and pity for people. He made us alive with Christ even when, at the same time as when we were dead in transgressions. And so it is by grace, by God's undeserved love, that you are saved. Let me, let me talk about death for a moment. Because we were dead. Um, during seminary, I've, I've said this before, uh, not all of you know it, uh, Carrie and I for two years lived in a small, really old cottage that had a major mouse problem up in the attic. And the reason we lived there is because the rent was right. It was free. And so we lived there, and I was just basically in charge of making sure that uh, there was always mouse traps set. And so we moved in, and I had all the mouse traps set up in the attic. And uh, about a week or two after we moved in, I think it was kind of in conjunction with turning the heat on, all of a sudden um, there's a, a bad odor in our house. And my wife's first reaction is, Ben, did you take a shower? And uh, no, it's not, not really what she said, but I did take a shower. We eliminated that. It wasn't me. So I went upstairs and in the attic and started looking around, checked all my traps, nothing. But the, the smell stayed, got worse. Kept looking because there was something going on in our house. And I moved boxes upstairs, and sure enough, there was a trap that the previous owner had set that I didn't know was there. There was a dead mouse on there. I don't know how long. It was long enough, and the house smelled like death. So I'm kind of a wimp. And so I got, like, the biggest gloves that I could find, and I got a bag and a shovel, and I just, you know, held my breath as much as I could, got that mouse, that dead mouse, out of there as quickly as I could, and got rid of it. That's how I deal with death, when something's dead. Listen again to verse 4. God made us alive at the time when we were dead. I hate to think what I would have done with us if I were God. I'd probably have acted like I did with the mouse. Smelly, stinky sinners. I don't want any part of that. Put on my gloves, get out the bag and the shovel, put them in there, throw them out. But when we were dead, God sent Jesus, and Jesus did not run away from the smell of sin. He ran to it. And he lived here for 33 years while the aroma and stench of sin was all around him. And then he, he went to the cross and dealt with the stench of death there as he endured part of the punishment that we'll never have to endure. And instead of throwing us out, he saved us. And when he lived after he rose from the dead, his living means what? That dead, stinky, smelly sinners like me, when I look in the mirror, I know that I have that in me. 
Because of Christ, he's made us alive. He didn't throw us out. He saved us. And now we have new life with him, in him, and because of him. And that's our next villain. Through Jesus, because of Jesus, God gives us life. And not just a life. He gives us a new life. Paul uh, explains this a little bit more in verse 6. He writes, And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. How is that shown? Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus as he saved us. You know there's something a little strange in those yellow words? Um, Paul is writing to people who are alive. And when he writes, he uses what tense with the verb. He uses not that they will sit with God in the heavenly realms. He writes that they are seated already with Christ in the heavenly realms. You know why? This comes up often in the New Testament. The past tense is used because it's as good as if you're already there. That, that in a world where so many people question and wonder and fear death because they're quite not, not quite sure that what they see in the mirror is good enough because they know about how they battle against sin. Paul says, because Christ made you alive, it's as good as if you're already there. You already have an address. Heaven is already your home. It is by grace, and that's how he continues, verses 8 and 9. For it's by grace. Now, for those of you who struggle with who you are, especially those who struggle with guilt in the past, quit. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because that is not how or why God saves us. It is only by grace undeserved love. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This isn't from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that we cannot boast. Do a little review here. I want you to think about what you see in the mirror. And we're going to filter it. So, we are by nature not good people, but God made us alive. Just filtered a little bit. We uh, have been told that although we continue to struggle with sin and our sinful nature, when you look at yourself, you can see someone who is not just citizen of Minnesota, but citizen of heaven. Feel things filtering a little bit? You struggle with a sinful nature just like I do. We will until heaven. But in your new life, God has given you the power to say no to sin with his help. That is who you are. Not someone who's perfect, who can be perfect, but someone who has the power and strength of Christ to say no. Filtering. 
You can't be the perfect husband or the perfect wife or the perfect child or, or the perfect um, mother or father. But that same power of Christ may and can allow you through his forgiveness and through his new life to be better, to live different through the Holy Spirit in response to what God has done to, to be different. Um, I, the, the most used filter on Instagram is called early bird. Early bird can't do this, what we just did. Early bird can change the blemishes that you see, but it can't change the reality of who you are. Have you ever uh, watched a uh, makeover show where like, there's the big reveal at the end and there's been all this work and all this change that's gone on in a person and then voila, here I am and everyone gets to see what has happened from where the she or he started to where he or she is. We've got one of those right now. Verse 10. And so, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Uh, a workmanship, another word, is his artwork, his piece of art. Because of Jesus, you can look in the mirror and you can celebrate who you see. Not because the outward looks exactly the way you want, not because of all the accomplishments that you want have happened, but because, and when we look and look at ourselves and see Christ, not only can we celebrate that, I'll be stronger. You need to celebrate you better celebrate that. Uh, Paul writes about it in a different way, with different words. Um, Galatians 3. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We've talked about that. We've been made alive. We've been given heaven as our new address because all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. New clothes. Reminds me of uh, Friday night. Anyone, did any of you have uh, little people coming to your doors asking for candy? They didn't look normal, did they? They all had uh, costumes on. Some of the, the big ones this year was uh, frozen characters like uh, Elsa, or uh, we had an Olaf in our house, or superheroes like uh, Captain America, or uh, um, this was Elias's, or... Um, Superman or Spider-Man. In fact, uh, nowadays, uh, you know, back in the day, we just had to be muscular ourselves. Now, they built in muscles. And you on uh, Friday, Ezra or Elias was showing us how he could make his pec stance, you know, uh, his, his big muscles that they sewed into his costume for him. And so you, the kids put these things on, and, and they kind of are like Captain America. He seems a little braver and talks in a different voice. And, and yet you still see glimpses of that they're not really that way. Um, our Olaf uh, uh, 
was kind of whined for most of the trick-or-treating, okay? I don't remember that in Frozen. Um, uh, it was the funniest thing across the streets. Uh, one of our neighborhood uh, kids, he's about six, he dressed up as a scary goblin. But the scary goblin was like more scared of everything than scary. He looked scary, was scared, and wouldn't go to hard, half the houses he wouldn't go to because they might have dogs. Just an outer covering. Nothing substantial has changed with that clothing. It's different with this one. You know you have sin. You know you struggle with the sinful nature. Don't concentrate that on that today, right now. Because when God looks at you, I want you to know because of Christ, he doesn't see that. So why are you right now? He doesn't see your imperfections through faith. You got them, I have them, but he doesn't see them. He sees the clothing, the perfection, the holiness of Christ. And so our last fill-in, celebrate who you are <laughs> through Christ. Celebrate who you are, not like the rest of the world would, because I have this great selfie on and I look a certain... Celebrate who you are through Christ. What does that look like? A couple things to think about as we close. How do you celebrate who you are this week? Quit picking on your imperfections. Thank God every day for at least one thing about you. It starts with salvation, of course, that you're thankful for. Here's another one. Complain less. That's how you celebrate who you are through Christ. Here's another one. Instead of thinking, oh, I can't do that because I don't have those gifts, use the gifts you have. It's the glory of the one who's changed you. You can probably think of more. But today as we close, I just want you to know that Jesus has done this amazing filter to the appearance of who you are in the Father's eyes. And I want you to see it too. Forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, although we still struggle with sin and we need to be cognizant of that and we should never ignore that, that today we just bask in the joy of the new person we are, that although we were dead, we've been and that is all by grace. Lord, we thank you this weekend for a man named Martin Luther who helped the people of this world, who tried to get the, the church to see that, that it's not by the things we do, it's not by things we buy, but it is by grace that we've been saved. So we thank you for his life and his, his, uh, his work during his life. Finally, Lord, we'd ask you to uh, give us strength to, to help us to celebrate that and to lead us into ways of serving you more with what you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the kingdom and the power and the glory.
forever and ever. Amen.